Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is John Sundel. John was previously an iOS developer at Spotify, and he is currently working on Swift open source and game development. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Garrick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. How's it going? What are you up to? Ah, it's all good. Uh, yeah, I was just coding some Swift, actually, just before we started. Nice. Yeah. Me too. What were you coding? Uh, so I, I'm working currently on a game engine, actually, uh, which is quite an endeavor. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'm working on some new games uh, for, uh, for Apple's platforms using Swift. And uh, I just felt like I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper and learn a bit about how, how the engines work. And I ended up just creating my own, uh, you know, piece by piece. So I recently interviewed um, Christoph Zablotsky, and he told me he wrote a game engine when he was like really young. And yeah, now it's right. interesting. I'm talking with you and you're mentioning game engine. So like, what are you, what are you actually, like, what does that mean? I, I don't even, we talked about it and I kind of don't remember. Like, so what are you building? Like what it means to move and what it means to be like a wall or what, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So you're basically creating a framework for developing games, right? Just like you, how you have UIKit when you're building iOS apps, uh, you want to have something like that that enables you to work on a little bit of a higher level when you're building games. Um, so you have things like uh, enabling, you, enabling you to script your, uh, your game objects, to give them different behaviors. Like you said, what does it mean to be a wall or a player? Uh, what does it mean when things collide, etc.? And you're doing this because you want to not only use it, but you're just interested to see like what it would be like, or what it, you want to go through the exercise and learn. Because isn't there already game engine type things um, in in um, UIKit? Yeah, or there's like SpriteKit, game, for guess. example. Okay. Yeah, there's SpriteKit, which is provided by Apple, which is a great tool for creating games on on Apple's platforms. Okay. Um, there's also SceneKit if you want to do something in tr in 3D, and there's also like more sophisticated game engines like Unity or Unreal that you can also use uh, on Apple's platforms. Um, so yeah, I've used most of those. Uh, I've used SpriteKit a lot, uh, but I just felt like this like urge to dig a little bit more deep and see how they work under the hood. And um, most of these engines are unfortunately not open source, so I couldn't look at the source code. So I just ended up experimenting, trying out, you know, how, how it would be like if I would write my own and work directly against a rendering layer like Metal, for example, on, on iOS. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it came about. Wow. So you're doing it completely in Swift? I am. It's 100% uh, Swift. Uh, and so what and is for... like the main, is it? But you're still using some Apple frameworks, right? Or, or is it just completely sort of from scratch, I guess? Or no, it has to. I mean, it's using standard library. It's using foundation. But is it using any UI kit? Uh, it's not using UI kit. Uh, it's um, the engine using itself. Metal? Yeah, it's using metal. Uh, the engine itself doesn't really have an opinion about how you render uh, your scene. Uh, it just provides like a protocol for rendering. I call it the rendering context. 
And then I have implementations for both core animation, which I use for the iOS simulator because the iOS simulator does not support metal. And oh. then I use metal on the actual devices. Okay, so if I wanted to make a game, though, like I don't need to do any of this, right? I can just use what Apple provides, right? Yeah, for sure. You could use SpriteKit, for example, or any of the other libraries that are out there, uh, or like the more sophisticated game engines that you can use for cross-platform development, for example, Unity. And okay. soon, hopefully, you'll be able to use my engine as well. I'm planning on open sourcing it as soon as it becomes a bit more feature-rich and it's yeah. actually usable. Nice. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, man, you, you, it's really awesome. I was actually just looking at your GitHub this morning and seeing all the different open source projects you have. Um, we got connected because there was a little bit of splash made about SwiftPlate, which is really cool. Um, I haven't actually used it yet because I, I haven't, you know, haven't need had the need to make a cross-platform Swift framework, which is right. what SwiftPlate does, right? It automates that process. But I looked at it because I wanted to get into Swift scripting. And uh, that's why I really wanted to have you on because I just feel like you're doing lots of cool stuff. And I really um, appreciated your example. I, I use SwiftPlate um, as an example for a little command line tool that I made. Um, it's called Make Repo. And basically, uh, it creates, it's like a program that creates a program for you. Uh, and the program that it creates is, uh, <laughs> it allows you to create GitHub repos from the command line. Oh, so that's you great. basically, yeah, you run it one time and it asks for your, um, like your key. You know, you need like mm -hmm. a, a key, like a, what are those called? The authorization key. And yeah, like the token. Asks, yeah, the token. And then yeah. it asks for your GitHub username, I think. And then it just creates the program for you. And then it puts it in your user slash local slash bin or whatever. And then you can just run it anywhere. You just run make repo. And it's like, well, what do you want your repo to be called? And you just give it a name. And then all of a sudden you have a, a remote repository on GitHub. So That's I perfect. used... Yeah, I used your SwiftPlate example. Like you had so many cool um, functions that you created, like helper functions, like perform command, perform like a yes or no question, I think it was, or something like that. And like, right, like man, ask just, Boolean question, yeah. Ask Boolean question. And, and uh, man, it was just such a great, I just love how you organize it too. You were like, okay, here are all my utility functions and then here's my actual program. Um, and I don't know, it was just really awesome. So I was really excited to like, to see that and to be able to do like uh, make a Swift script is really cool. And yeah, so it is. It is a great language even for scripting, uh, and uh, it's it's really fantastic how uh, you know you can apply the same kind of techniques that you would use when you are you know registering some events in your UI or you're performing some other operations and when you're scripting as well. Uh, and just adding some utility functions like the ones you mentioned just makes it so much easier to deal with uh, with things in scripting. Yeah, and so that other um, open source project files, like, anyways, I feel like there's going to be a lot more cool stuff coming coming from you, like uh, all these like helper, like you're doing a lot of it seems like a lot of Swift scripting stuff, and so I look forward to seeing all the different like uh, tools and utilities you make to make it more fun and easier for to do scripts in Swift, you know. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more coming, I'm sure. Uh, basically, every time I create something like that, like some utility that I create mainly to help myself when I'm scripting or uh, doing some other task, uh, my initial thought is always, should I open source this? And the answer is usually yes. <laughs> uh, because, you know, 
I've uh, had a lot of help from the community, learning, you know, about programming, learning uh, Swift, learning other languages, and wherever I can give back or, you know, uh, help some other people do similar tasks, then I always try to do that as much as possible. Yeah, we, we have a really great community. That's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is to meet everybody and to, to show the world uh, how great the community is. So Yeah, that's right. really awesome. So uh, let's uh, step back and let's talk about, um, you know, where you come from. Um, you live in Poland, correct? Yeah, I do. I live in Krakow in Poland. Kra I moved Krakow? here about, yeah, it's Krakow. I hope I pronounced that Krakow. correct anyway. <laughs> yeah. Krakow. Yeah. Are, were you born in, were you born in Poland or? No, I'm actually, I was actually born in the U.S. Uh, I was actually born in Mountain View, California. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. because I'm like, John Sundle, like the people I've interviewed that are from Poland, it's like, I, you know, I have a hard time pronouncing their names. Like, uh, right. Yeah, it um, doesn't sound like um, Polish. <laughs> Zabrotsky and uh, Pietruszewski. Right. And, There's know, always a like, ski in the end. And uh, so I'm like, John Sundle. Uh, okay, so you were born in California. Yeah, I was, but both of my parents are Swedish, but I was born in, in Mountain View, uh, lived there for a couple of years, and then my parents decided to go back to Sweden. So I was uh, basically raised mostly in, in Sweden, and uh, we lived in on the west coast of Sweden in Gothenburg um, for many years. Uh, and then I moved to Stockholm to join Spotify uh, in 2013. And when I left Spotify uh, at the end of last year, uh, me and my girlfriend, we decided to uh, go abroad for a little while and see what would, would it be like to live in a new country. And she's actually from Poland originally. So uh, we decided to, uh, to take, uh, take the ship there and see how it's going to be like to live here for a while. So it's a bit wow. of an adventure. Yeah. So I've wow. only lived so you... here for, for like a little bit more than 30 days. So it's quite new, uh, but I'm really liking it so far. Wow. So you have no ties really besides your girlfriend to Poland. You just moved there. Yeah, I just did. Wow. Uh, I just felt well, like, you know, I just want to explore the world a little bit and see what it's like outside of yeah. the Swedish border. Yeah, totally. My fiance and I are hoping to travel all summer. So who knows? Maybe we'll move. Um, we're thinking, I don't know, maybe Germany, Berlin, or uh, I'm not sure. So but there's a lot of really cool developers in Poland. Uh, have you had a chance to like get out to the, the scene and the community over there? Yeah, for sure. I've met some developers already here um, that live here in Krakow. Uh, but I've also like I've spoken at some conferences here uh, over the last couple of years. So I've got a chance to meet a lot of people in the community here. And yeah, there's a lot of great developers here. Uh, so that just makes me even more happy to be here because now I can spend more time with them, more like face to face, go to meetups and things like that. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So how did you get into programming? You said you were born in Mountain View. You moved to Sweden uh, with your parents when you were really young. When did you get into programming? So it kind of all started, uh, like many other programmers, with video games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was, <laughs> it's, a, it's a common kind of, kind of origin story, I guess. Uh, I was playing video games when I was young. I got my first console, which was the Super Nintendo for my parents. Yeah. And I kind of, yeah, it was a good one, really good one. Uh, I kind of instantly fell in love with that machine and um, was uh, playing a lot. And what kind of came natural to me uh, after a little while was that I started asking myself, well, I'm playing all these games, someone must be making them. And how does that all work? Like, how, how, how does games come to be? 
yeah. so I asked my dad, uh, like any, you know, 10 year old or nine year old does, <laughs> you ask your dad and you're like, so how does this happen? Uh, and my dad is actually, or he used to be a programmer and oh, he used right. to, yeah. So he actually told me about this, uh, this thing called programming and that you could have your editor on your computer type in codes and well, things would happen. Um, and so we started doing some, some stuff together. Like we were using C and C plus uh, He gave me this like wow. C book. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, uh, in the beginning, it was a bit, you know, like a daunting, uh, intimidating because I, it was kind of a long way going from typing hello world into an editor to actually building a game. Right. Um, so I got a bit, uh, like discouraged, I guess. And I didn't feel like, oh, this was not really what I expected. But then my dad, he found this program and I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's called click and play. Have you ever heard about this program? No. So click and play, it was made by a, a company. I think they're called click team. Uh, it was released for, for windows, uh, back in the nineties. And it was this like drag and drop editor where you could just like drag in some graphic files and then you had this like event grid would you, where you could define events for different objects. So you could say like, if the player collides with a coin, then destroy the coin and give the player a point, right? Wow. So it was, it was very like easy and approachable for someone like me who was very young. Uh, so I started playing with this tool. And for me, this was definitely like my gateway drug, if you will, into programming. Yeah. Um, so I was, I actually created like, I think my total was like about 200 games, uh, using this tool. Uh, and wow. I would, I would spend like, you know, the entire weekends just like building games using this tool. And like, I started out very simply, but then I ended up creating these like quite complex solutions using this like event system. Uh, I even at some point found out that you could read and write values to a file. So what I did was that I took a text file and I put it on the, on the network, like on a shared drive on the network. And I used that to implement like a local network game, like a multiplayer strategy game. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So at some point I just, this was a few years later uh, when I had been, I had been using this tool for, for years now and I really loved it. And I felt like, okay, maybe it's time to give this programming thing another, another go. <laughs> and by then I was a little bit older and I had this, like, I guess, you know, this event thing in click and play, uh, it kind of gave me this, um, this way of thinking, you know, like this logical way of thinking around like conditionals and events and, uh, you know, how to deal with different things like we do every day in programming. So when I tried programming the second time, it was a lot easier and I ended up, um, moving into web development and, uh, I was using PHP for a long time, creating like server side web apps, uh, and had a lot of fun with that throughout, uh, throughout high school. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I got started with programming, uh, like really just wanting to create games. <laughs> Do you still have any of your click and play games? Yeah, I do. I I've gotten them at my parents' place on their old machine. Like they, I don't think they would run, they would definitely wouldn't run on a Mac because it's all windows. Uh, I don't think they would even run on a modern windows. They, uh, this, uh, this company, they eventually, uh, kept making more and more of these uh, tools. So there are more, more modern versions of them, but they're windows only. So I haven't gotten around to using them in a, 
in a while. Well, who knows? Maybe one day uh, when you go back and visit your parents, you'll dust them off and somehow we can see them run. That'd be really interesting. Right. Yeah, that would be fun. Even just to look at the, I guess, look at the text files or something, it'd just be interesting to see. It's it's cool. It sounds very interactive, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, You know, you were reading through a C book and, and working with your dad. It wasn't very interactive, but then you... You're sort of being taught the basics of programming, like event-driven programming, at least, um, using this more interactive method. Uh, I think that's really that's really cool. So you were kind of discouraged at first, but you just found a new way to learn. And I think yeah. that that is sort of the same story as a lot of people. You know, we might be introduced to something like programming in one way, but if we find a way that we enjoy to learn it, you know, and we kind of give it another chance. Uh, we can we can go really far with it. And what I also think is interesting is that you're right. A lot of people that I talk to, and I'm sure you talk to as well, like get into programming through games. But growing up, it seems like, you know, stop playing those video games and go outside, right? That's sort of that, that whole thing. But for some people, I mean, it changes their life for, in such a good way. Um, I never had that thought like growing up, like, okay, I like this video game. How did it get here? How did it get made? It's really interesting some people have that thought right yeah it's it's this classic saying like some kids all they want to do is disassemble their toys right and (laughs) I was definitely one of those kids like I remember I would I would take everything apart like I would get these new uh action figures or whatever and I would just take everything apart and then I was sad because I couldn't put them back together again (laughs) so yeah it was the same for me with games I wanted to take them apart and see and I I guess you know we were just talking about how I started to make this game engine and it kind of keeps coming back like I'm not satisfied with like using this like closed source tool that I have no idea how it works I want to take it apart and see see what it what makes it tick you know yeah that's really interesting I look forward to seeing like what that like what that is, like what is a game engine, what that looks like. Uh, so did you continue your like uh, computer interest throughout your education, like all the way up until, you know, college and out of college? Or like, did you study it in school or? So um, we're going to take an interesting twist here, actually. So yeah, I was I was very uh, into programming and into computers and everything. And I was uh, doing as much as I could when it comes to programming uh, in high school. Uh, in Sweden, you have these things where you can pick some like extracurricular activities uh, right. in, in high school. Uh, and the, the ones that I picked, they were all about computers and programming. Um, but then when I graduated high school, I didn't want to go to university or college straight away. Uh, so what I ended up doing was taking a job in sales, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, a bit random. Um, but that was like, um, that was an interesting kind of turning point for me because I, I started getting more and more into sales. And for me in the beginning, I was just thinking, you know, this will be a six months temporary job before I go to university. But it ended up being like a more like a three or four year long career. And I was, I was at some point even running my own sales company. Um, yeah, so, uh, I got into that and I never forgot about programming. I was still doing it like in my spare time. I was still making games in different forms. I was using like XNA from Microsoft to make an Xbox game with my friends. Uh, and yeah, I was always like making games and programming in my spare time, but it was very weird because I actually never thought about it. Like I could make a career out of this for me. It was always like, I have to have another job. And then in my spare time, I do programming. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, and that was, you know, in hindsight, kind of strange because at some point yeah. I just realized, you know what, I should just do this full time. There's a lot of great jobs out there and uh, there's no reason for me to do like something like sales, which, you know, it paid the bills, but I wasn't super passionate about it. Right. And I'm mega passionate about programming and, and, and computers. So, yeah, so that's what I did. Basically, I um, I quit my job or at that point I had my own company. So I. I sold off my company and I uh, took a job as a backend uh, backend web developer at wow. a real estate company. Why do you think you had that feeling that you couldn't do programming as a career? Uh, I don't know. Maybe like so. This was before this was before the iPhone, right? And it was before uh, or the iPhone was coming out, but it wasn't like this big thing that it was that it is now. Um, and I had done some web development, but that wasn't like where my main passion was either. My main passion was with, you know, with games. And when the iOS SDK came out, I really got excited about that. I started learning Objective-C. Um, but eventually when this opportunity popped up, that's when I guess it hit me that, oh, you know what? I can just do this. And, you know, I actually know how to do server-side web development. So, yeah, I can just do that instead. And then eventually, like a couple of years down the line, I just transitioned to become a full-time iOS developer. I, I feel like I wouldn't have thought to become a programmer without the iPhone. Even though the web was already out, it was huge. For some reason, I think it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't that attractive or something to me. I guess because it wasn't that personal, maybe. Like the web was just this place I went to when I had a computer. Whereas like the phone is just right there, right? It's like an extension of my brain. Like that's always with me. Um, and I think that's probably true for a lot of people. Like, so maybe a few years ago, programming wasn't, I don't know, well, for lack of a better word, like that cool or that attractive or something. Um, yeah. Because some, it didn't some, really. Like it, yeah. Because I think the iPhone just, it wasn't the programming or, or computers didn't touch as many people directly, right? You had like a hundred million, maybe 300 million desktop computers or something like that in the U S or I can't remember what the, what the statistic is. Right. But then like the iPhone is touching so many more people. So now it's just like programming maybe is more attractive or more cool. I, I, I don't want to say like cool, but it's something like that, you know, like, yeah. I and I, I think also it's more visible to like, for the lack of a better word, ordinary people, like people who are not programmers, um, what a programmer is and uh, what they do, you know, with the app store, for example, and, you know, a lot of developers are being highlighted and people have more this relationship to their software now with the apps that is different from, from where it was before. Uh, you know, when you would uh, talk to someone a couple of years ago before like the iPhone took off that you were a programmer, they would be, oh, okay, what is that? Well, we, I don't really know. But now it's like I can tell anyone that I'm an, an app developer, you know, an right. iOS app developer, and everyone instantly knows what that means, you know? Right. So I think the visibility of what a developer is and that it's a, you know, a big lucrative business is, that's that's like a big game changer, I think. Yeah, I think that's such a better word, like visibility. So maybe a few years ago, you'd tell somebody like, oh, I made, you know, I made this website or I made, I don't know, like some particular program for a Windows computer. Now this day and age, you tell like, I help make Instagram or I help make Spotify. And someone's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> like, 
I, I feel like programmer a few or how many ever years ago, you, you look at movies and the stereotype is like this guy with a pocket protector or something. Mm-hmm. And like, whereas now it's like maybe some cool hip guy or something or girl, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it. The fact like, yeah, I'm just really curious, like why you, why you told yourself that, like, even though you were so into programming and so into computers, you felt like you couldn't do it as a career. It's so interesting. And it's actually the first person I feel like I heard that from, um, where someone was like really into it, but they ended up doing like, some people do it cause they're like, ah, oh, I just want to try something else. But I don't ever remember hearing anybody say that they thought they couldn't do it as a career. It's really interesting. Yeah. And I guess like after that initial job offer that I got, like my confidence level really uh, was increased in this, you know, in, in, in the field. And um, I by then I was like, you know, I can I can uh, go into whatever area of programming I want. You know, I can uh, learn more about, you know, iOS or or, you know, uh, JavaScript or web development or whatever it might be. And all the resources are there for me to learn. So uh I guess also that's, you know, it kind of opened up my eyes a little bit uh, in terms of that. So you're running a business for like three, four years. Uh, you have like this sales team. You sounds like you're doing at least, you know, pretty well because you, you've been doing it for a while. You have a team and you decide to switch careers and you sell your business, you say. Yeah. Like, tell us what's going through your mind in that around that time and in that moment. Uh, like, what are you thinking? Like, how do you make that must be a difficult decision? You're make you're taking a risk. Like, how do you convince yourself, or how do you just go for it? And uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it was definitely a stressful moment, you know, because I went from something like you said, like I I was pretty good at it, but also it had become my routine. You know, I I knew kind of what every di- day would look like, uh, and on. By contrast, like being a developer, I had no idea how that would work because I'd been working with my friends, I'd been working on my own or, you know, making some websites or, or games, uh, but I had no idea what it was like to work like in, a, in an office environment uh, with programming. Um, so it was definitely a bit scary, but also exciting. And uh, this has also been something that I've always tried to do is where you know, I always try to put myself in a little bit scary situations because I feel like that's the way I can learn new things quick and kind of, you know, this classic of like, get out of your comfort zone. But I really believe in that, like put yourself in these situations that you will have to learn new things quickly. And this was definitely one of those situations where, you know, I realized quite quickly that even though I thought of myself like, oh, you know, I can make websites and I can make, you know, server-side systems, no problem. I realized quite quickly that I had no idea what I was doing in that kind of environment. So, but it was great because that, that, that kind of forced me to, you know, um, to come back home every night and read a lot of books, read a lot of blog posts, do a lot of tutorials and really, you know, get my skills up to par, uh, which was, which was great, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you really want it, then you just have to face the challenge. I mean, you're, there's always going to be some kind of challenge uh, and you might not like it at first, but once you realize it's just a challenge um, and it's up to you to, to face it, then I think it becomes more, I don't know, more enjoyable or more just realistic. Like, okay, it's just a challenge. I got to get over it. Um, yeah. When, when you were in that, around that time, like in that moment, trying to make that decision, what, was there anyone around you, um, friends, girlfriend, mom, dad, 
um, that you, you know, consulted and like, what did they tell you? Yeah. So yeah, I spoke to my family, of course, and my friends and, uh, people were very encouraging because, you know, um, it was kind of obvious that I wouldn't want to do sales for the rest of my life because, you know, it was, it was at the end of the day, kind of just a job. Uh, it wasn't something that I was, you know, deeply passionate about, even though I enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't, I was, I was always, um, looking for like what, what would be next. And, um, since people knew how much I love like computers and programming and the fact that I could now kind of do my hobby as, uh, as my job, uh, that was not only very appealing to me, but people around me were also very, you know, encouraging me a lot, uh, to do this and to jump on this opportunity, uh, because they kind of saw how, how happy doing things like this would, would make me, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What were you selling? Uh, so I was mainly working with, um, with this electricity company called Eon, uh, which is like a German electricity company. I was, uh, selling like contracts for them basically, uh, to both businesses and, and customers. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you quit, uh, quit this sales, you know, career that you're doing, you decide you're going to be a programmer. You start going home at night and like reading up on programming, you get your first programming job. Uh, how does that end up leading to iOS development? So at that point, I was already doing a bit of iOS development, but it was mostly like me uh, tinkering around with some apps and utilities that I wanted for myself uh, in my spare time. I didn't really ship anything to the app store or anything like that. Um, uh, but yeah, it came kind of quickly because as I was working on um, on these um, server-side things and on, uh, on the web stuff... Uh, it became quite clear that uh, apps was going to be kind of the future and this was where everything was heading. Everyone was getting apps and uh, the company I was working at, which was a Swedish real estate company, they were even looking into now building native apps instead of just relying on the web. So I realized that, you know, in order to uh, to kind of get to the next level that I wanted to be at, um, learning about iOS would be a great next step uh, and becoming like not only um, you know, able to use it, but also, uh, being able to use it in like more like a professional capacity and being able to call myself like an iOS developer. Um, so at that point, like I, I did what I, what I kind of always do when I learn something new, I just like search the web for everything that I could possibly need to know. I try to read as much as I can. I experiment, I build things, uh, I challenge myself to, you know, learn core data or learn about location services and all these things that uh, I, I maybe wouldn't have used in my hobby projects, but would be valuable for me to use in a, in a job situation. Um, so I, yeah, I did a lot of just like throwaway apps. I probably created like a 30, 40 apps just to teach myself certain things. And this was all in my kind of spare time. So yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of work, but at the end of the day, uh, I think it paid off pretty well because uh, I got my uh, I got my first full time iOS job as a contractor, like building apps for other people um, or other companies, and that enabled me also to uh, work on many many different projects uh, kind of quickly. So I got a lot of projects um, kind of uh, in my resume, which was great and. Yeah, eventually this led led me to Spotify, uh, and that was that was just fantastic. Was it all in Objective C? Yeah, it was all in Objective C. I was using some C plus plus here and there, uh, like where we would build 
I would cooperate, for example, with some Android developer and we would build some like shared layer for like the logic uh, in C++. Uh, I was using C also um, wherever it was required. Um, and uh, yeah, but mostly Objective-C. Hey, was this while you were living in Sweden? Yeah, for sure. It was in Sweden. It was at that point. It was in in Gothenburg, which is on the west coast of Sweden. Uh, but then when I joined Spotify, I moved to Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden. So before you joined Spotify, how many years of iOS development did you have? Uh, about three, I would say, like two or three years of iOS development. Wow! Wow! How did you yeah. end up getting the job at Spotify? So that was actually through LinkedIn. So it turns out some good things can actually come out of LinkedIn. <laughs> um, so uh, I uh, like like everybody, I would get you know uh, recruitment emails um, every now and then on LinkedIn, uh, and I didn't. I ended up like not checking them very often. Uh, but since then, something really really uh, peculiar happened, and this is actually a true story. Uh, before I before I tell it. Uh, I was out with some of my friends, um, just like on a Friday or something. And, um, we were talking about like careers and, oh, what are we going to do next? And, uh, I told him like, oh, you know, I would really love to work for like a great tech startup kind of company. I would love to work for like a company like, uh, Google or, uh, even Apple, although they're, they're not a startup, but, um, or Spotify, you know, because Spotify in Sweden has this. Uh, kind of special status because it's a Swedish company, right? So everybody right. knows about it and it's like a big Swedish success story. So working there, it's like, you know, kind of a dream for many Swedish developers. Um, oh, that's great. So I, t I told them about this and they were like, yeah, it sounds like a great dream. Yeah, it sounds like a great plan. But that, that's kind of where we left it. And then uh, by some chance that weekend, I was checking my LinkedIn inbox for the first time in forever. And it turns out there was actually a message there from a Spotify recruiter. All right. Uh, which was asking me like, hey, would you like to, you know, interview for us? And I was, I, I just couldn't believe it because I had just been in the bar, like talking to my friends about wanting to join a company like Spotify. Uh, so yeah, I replied and got the interview set up. And yeah, like a couple of months later, I was packing my stuff and moving to Stockholm. Wow. So when you were originally hired, it was for like a, just a normal iOS developer role or like a junior iOS developer role or what was that? What was like an entry yeah. level? Or? Sp Spotify doesn't, they don't use so many labels on developers like lead okay. developer or junior or senior developer. Um, so it was just like iOS developer. It was just part of the uh, iOS team. And when I joined, there weren't that many developers. Over the years I was there, uh, it grew to become quite a big company and quite a lot of developers. Um, but I, I was one of the first that were hired, um, for a role that we would call uh, feature developer, which means that I was working on like features for the iOS app. Uh, so I was building things like search and the browse, uh, feature of Spotify as like some of my first projects. Wow. So by the time Swift comes out in uh, June, 2014, you had at least uh, four, five years or more of Objective C experience, or yeah, something like that. Wow. So, what? Uh, t take us back to that moment, uh, if you remember it, when Swift comes out. 
I actually remember it really well because I was in WWDC. I oh, was, uh, that is that the photo, your Twitter uh, picture? Yeah, yeah, that's my Twitter profile photo. And like, oh wow! So my my girlfriend, she's a photographer, uh, so she really hates that photo because it's a blurry <laughs> selfie, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And she's just... she's made me so many better profile pictures that I should really be using. Uh, but that photo just carries some, you know, sentimental value for me because. Not only was it my actually only WWDC I've been at, uh, but it was you know the year where, when Swift got introduced, and I really really loved this language. So yeah, I'm I'm still keeping that one for now. We'll see for how long. But for yeah, now. no, it, I was just looking at it this morning. You look so happy, and to know that that was when Swift came out. Like yeah, it was like there. mere minutes, mere minutes before before the Swift logo would appear on the on the big screen. So yeah, wow. Okay, so take us back to that moment. You're sitting sure. in, in the room and, and tell us what happens. Yeah, I'm sitting in the room. I'm hearing about this new programming language. And like everything that kind of was said there about Swift, like what it would be and why it was created, like it was Objective-C without the C, that kind of just like resonated so well with me because I had always also had this feeling when I was using Objective-C that it always felt like, a bit of um you know a bit of a, like a, a patch or extension on c itself right um and just like getting rid of that c legacy and just being able to use these like modern concepts was something that i was very very excited about um so yeah initially like when i heard about it i was uh really excited i i liked the idea of it uh, what happened after the keynote was that I actually ran down to this area in WWDC where you can download the betas uh, <laughs> because you can't do it over Wi-Fi. You need to be connected. At least that was what it was like then. Okay. Uh, you had to connect over the wire to be able to download the betas. So I got the Xcode beta. I fired up a playground and I started just using, just playing around with it, like just creating like a simple hello world there, right there in, in WWDC. And wow. Yeah, immediately I just felt like, wow, this is something. This is something new. Uh, even though it was a bit unstable in the beginning, I just felt like, wow, this is this is going to be something amazing. Uh, so I spent I spent the almost the entire WWDC just learning more about Swift and going to all the Swift sessions and talking to people about it and trying it out in the evenings. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was kind of my my first meeting with Swift. Did you ever get to use Swift at Spotify? And not for the main app, uh, for a couple of different reasons. Like we had this kind of custom build system that wasn't uh, very compatible with Swift. Um, also things like, you know, bundling the runtime and a lot of other reasons that like big companies uh, would give to uh, have a hard time adopting Swift at this point. Um, but I was using Swift wherever I could, like we were, um, doing some open source, uh, work, uh, at Spotify. Uh, I was the lead developer on a project called the hub framework, uh, which is right, this, like was, component driven. Uh, yeah. I was looking at right? it this morning, but one of the classes I saw, it was objective C. So is that mixed Swift and objective C? So the framework itself was objective C to be able to be compatible with the Spotify app. But oh. when we were building the demo app for this project, that was clear that of course this is going to be in Swift, uh, because oh. wherever I could, uh, I would use Swift for everything. Uh, I also built this like live preview tool as part of this framework where you could, uh, so the framework itself, what it does is that it enables you to, uh, among other things, uh, render a view, uh, like a view controller using a JSON file. 
Uh, oh, so you wow. can so you can put your uh, layout configuration and your content in your server and have it be like very dynamically rendered. So you can basically decide through this JSON file which components that you want to render. Like, do you want a carousel or a grid or a list? And wow. then the framework will take care of that for you. Um, and I built that that live preview tool that enables you to basically give a command line tool a JSON file, and it would just open up the simulator and render it for you. Um, I built that with Swift as well. So whenever I could, whenever I had like a, a chance to use Swift, I would do that. And then, of course, in my spare time, I would keep working on like uh, lots of open source things. I made my first uh, open source project in Swift called Unbox, uh, which is a JSON decoder for Swift. Uh, right. I made that like about two years ago. And yeah, then I just kept going. And I've mainly been working with Swift um, on my own uh, up until now. Uh, now, uh, I am just about, actually in a couple of days, I'm going to start a new job at a Norwegian digital agency called Hyper. Oh, okay. whoa, Hyper. Wait, yeah. did they do um, the f -f photo app? It's no, like that's not, it's not that with Hyper. P-H-H-H-T-O-O -O or something, f -f -f photo? <laughs> I um, don't think so. Um I'm not sure. Maybe uh, I. To be honest, I'm not. Uh, I'm not entirely I, sure of all of their history. I feel um, like I've heard of Hyper before. Well, any, yeah, in any case, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, they're they're very big in the Swift open source community. Uh, if you look on GitHub, they're actually one of the top uh, companies that are contributing to Swift open source. Um, How do you spell it? And, uh, it's Hyper Oslo. So it's uh, yeah, Hyper I Oslo. I actually applied to work for them. This is like very early on. And um, they were like, oh, you know, we would really want you to. Yeah, they have this like image picker thing, I remember. Yeah, yeah that's image one picker. of their most popular projects. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome, man. You're going to work for, work there. That's great. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. My dear friend Christopher works there. Uh, so that's kind of how I got in touch with them and also through some open source projects. Um, so, Wait, so yeah, you're I'm moving really to Norway. No, I'm staying here. Uh, I'm staying here in Krakow in Poland. So I'm going to work remotely, uh, but I'm going to be wow. spending a lot of time there as well, uh, over in Oslo. So I'll be like communicate or com commuting back and forth a little bit. Is it not f uh, very far to get over there? Uh, it's not that bad. It's about two hours uh, on a plane. Uh, okay. so it's okay. Yeah. So I I'm not going to go there like every week. It's more going to be like maybe every second month or something like that. So you say you're starting soon. Yeah, uh, I'm like starting the, on the 1st of February. Wow. So are you going to be able to do Swift there? or? Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of one of the main reasons that I wanted to join them was not only are they uh, super into Swift, they're doing everything with Swift, um, but they're also very, very into open source. And um, uh, this right, is so like, like a perfect fit. Yeah, it's a perfect fit, right? It's like, I love Swift, I love open source, and they do as well. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. And they are spending a lot of their time uh, when they are building uh, apps for their customers on actually taking pieces of those apps and extracting them as open source libraries. So they have like a very big culture around like open source by default, which is something that I, I really like. Yeah. And I love the idea of like building, like everything kind of becomes, or at least thinking about everything becoming a, a library, because to me, it it sort of reinforces good um, software design principles. Like if 
if you're forced to sort of make something a library, it has to be sort of more reusable and uh, more single responsibility and all those like really good design principles. And yeah, I don't know. I just really like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm also a big believer in that. I also think it, it also requires you to think about your API in a different right. way. So you have this like explicit API point where you are calling into your library and you want to make sure that it's you know, thin, that it's well-designed. Uh, like you say, it fits like a little bit broader use case so you can end up reusing it. Um, yeah, and I, I think that leads to better design, better separation of concerns, and also increased testability. Because one big problem when you're like testing, unit testing your app can be to kind of know when you are testing the API and not testing the actual implementation. But when you are using frameworks, uh, that becomes a lot simpler because you're just calling the API of the framework. Right. So when you are when you end up open sourcing something or when you make like a library, what's the flow usually like? Do you sort of you know get very specific and you solve like a specific problem first, and then it turns into a library, or do you kind of have the idea for the library up front? So um, usually how it works for me is that I will start see a, to see a pattern, like something that I end, end up having to solve kind of a similar problem repeatedly. So whether that is things like JSON parsing, like with Unbox or uh, handling files, like in the files project or generating a project and that ended up being Swift Play. Uh, it's something that I feel is kind of a friction point uh, for me when I'm working. Uh, something where I have to stop what I'm actually doing, what I really want to do, and I have to do something else. Like, for example, dealing with files. Like, the scripts that I write in Swift, dealing with the files is not the, the point. Like, I want to accomplish something with the files, like move them around maybe or rename them. And having to deal with the files uh, ended up being like a, an obstacle they had to overcome every time I was writing a script. So if I have that feeling like, oh, this is something which is causing me a bit of pain or it's making my my life and my job a little bit harder then I try to think you know is this something that I could actually create a tool or a framework to solve and whenever I do that I always try to think a little bit bigger picture and see okay uh, if I am having this problem then maybe other people are as well so instead of just solving my concrete use case that I have right now maybe I can try to make it a little bit more general not like completely over generalizing everything but a little bit more um like general purpose uh which would also help me further down the line when i'm i want to use it for something else and then i, I end up open sourcing the things that i feel are you know um things that other people could probably benefit from so i have a lot of things that are still here like local on my machine or on my private github that i haven't open sourced yet but it's mostly like a matter of time or uh, me having used them enough in different situations that I feel they are more suited for this like general purpose uh, open source uh, thing. So for something like files, is, is files a way to make it easier to work with files inside of a Swift script, for example? Yeah, it's an what? easier way to handle files. So for example, instead of having to use the file manager API, which Foundation provides, which is a really powerful, good API, but it requires you to kind of pass these strings around everywhere. And the error handling model that it uses is a bit inconsistent because at some points you get your Boolean return, some points you're expected to do the do try catch pattern. 
So I wanted to wrap this API, this file uh, manager API into something that was uh, easier to use in a script. So with files, you just have a object-oriented API around the file system. So you have a file uh, class and a folder class that you can just instantiate with a path. And then you can deal with that file folder like you can iterate through the contents, rename things, move things around, uh, delete things, whatever you need to do in your script. So, so the way I'm using it... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the way I'm using it personally is, um, so when I'm working on games, uh, I'm working with um, with some, some of my friends and they are um, creating the graphics for this game. And uh, they are uh, using Git to actually push their graphic assets into the repo that we're using. But then I need to create like, um, uh, I need to put them into Xcode and I need to create these uh, like texture atlases using these files. So I found myself always when they had committed something, I had to manually drag and drop these things in. I had to like reformat them, create this additional metadata. And now with files and a simple Swift script that I run, uh, I can just move these files that they have committed into the repo into like the right atlas and everything that I need. So if I wanted to use files inside one of my own um, command line tools, do I install it just like I normally would, like um, like a CocoaPod or something? How does that work? So um, if you want to use it in a script, I would recommend using the Swift Package Manager uh, because oh, okay. it's a little bit more lightweight. And okay. uh, yeah, you don't necessarily need an Xcode project. So you would create a package.swift uh, file uh, inside of your folder where you have your script. And there you would define files as a dependency with the GitHub URL. Okay, and I've never done run, anything like that. Yeah, you should try it. It's it's really good, actually. Uh, you can run Swift build then, and what's going to happen is you're going to get a binary that you can then execute on the command line. Um, and that way, the Swift package manager will take care of installing the dependencies, building your command line tool, because then your script kind of becomes like a command line tool. But you don't necessarily need to have the like all the complexity of, of using Xcode or, you know, uh, CocoaPods and workspaces, uh, you can just have a single Swift file that you just build using uh, Swift build. Wait, so when you create SwiftPlate, is SwiftPlate just, you know, you're just using like, I don't know, some text editor or are you building it in Xcode? SwiftPlate, I actually built in Xcode. Um, there's, for me, it's like a, a bit of a, Threshold where I transition from using Atom, which is my text editor of choice, to Xcode. Uh, for me, like Atom feels a lot more lightweight, and I can easily just fire it up. And if I need to, for example, use files to just like rename all the folders in a file, like add a prefix or something, uh, I would do that in Atom. I would just like open up Atom, write a few lines of Swift code, uh, and then either use the Swift Package Manager or just execute the script directly uh, on the command line using uh, the Swift um, yeah, the Swift tools. Uh, but if it becomes something more like Swift plate, which is like, I don't know, five, 600 lines at this point, at that point, I would rather use Xcode because I need kind of the power okay. of, of, of Xcode at that point. So I would say um, there's a few people out there that I know of that are doing some really cool you know, stuff with, uh, with Swift scripting. Um, there's probably others, but maybe I just don't know of them. Um, you're one of them. I think Christoph is doing some really cool stuff with um, like sorcery. Um, yeah, I think that's like a Swift script. I think um, some of the things he uses is built 
by someone named Kyle Fuller. I think he's doing some. Oh yeah, Kyle Fuller. Stuff. Yeah, oh, I know him. Swift format is I think yeah. probably a Swift script. So, anyways, the point is, I think you're probably a good person to talk about um, this subject of like what, how do you feel? Um, you know, Swift is performing. You know, uh, as a scripting language, or I mean, I guess when we say scripting, like. To me, I just think it's like kind of a command line tool. I don't know if those are different. Those are kind of different things, but I sort of see them as the same. Um, maybe you can explain that too. But like how is Swift as a language for that application, that purpose? So we can start with what's the difference between a script and a command line tool. Okay. And uh, for me, like there, there's not much of a difference in terms of like how you would write it. Uh, because usually a, you can take, for example, if you're working with Swift, you can always take your uh, Swift script and compi compile it into a command line tool binary, right? Uh, or you can just execute it. But the way I look at a script is that something that you're just executing, the, you're like just in time compiling it and executing it right away. Uh, you're right. not building a binary and distributing this binary and saving it onto your file system. Right, so uh, it's almost like... Uh... A command line tool is like in my user local bin, whereas a script exactly. I run like dot slash and then the, in the script and I hit run. Okay. Exactly. That's 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 how I would define it at least. Um, I wonder and, what the practical difference is then. Like what, why, is it just easier to just run it as a command line tool because then I don't have to do dot slash or are there actual practical implementation, implementation, impl so, implications? <laughs> yeah, so if you have something that's a bit more complex that requires you to have multiple files, then I would say that should be a command line tool. Oh, so it builds it first. Yeah, exactly, because you don't want to have to manage all those files manually and to like pass them, concatenate them or something like that. Um, uh, well, with a script, you might just have a single file. Maybe it will just be a couple of lines doing something simple that you can just like very easily run on your command line when you need it. Uh, okay. So that, that would be my like difference of how I look at it. And that's kind of why um, some of my like file renaming scripts, they are still, I refer to them as scripts and I think of them as scripts and I run them uh, directly on the command line while something like Swift plate it's uh, it's more like a little bit more complex. It's still actually a single file, but I still manage it through Xcode. Uh, when I use it, I install it in, in user local bin and I run it through there as a binary. So that that's like the difference for me. Real quick, just to explain user local bin. I mean, I don't know if it's universal, but things like uh, CocoaPods, when you install CocoaPods, like the binary, I guess, the of CocoaPods lives in user local bin. Um, so that might be something you become familiar with um, as you guys, you know, as you guys progress on your Swift coder journey. Okay, so let's get to the subject then of Swift as a, um, a scripting language slash, you know, command line tool building language, assuming like the, that we don't really care necessarily about the the practical differences that we just talked about between the two. Like how, sure. you know, uh, how is it? How How's your experience been? What What's like the goods, the bads? And, and like looking forward to like looking in the future, what can we expect? What are your thoughts? So the goods are that <laughs> you get to use Swift because it's amazing. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's not only amazing, but it's also the language you're using if you're building an app. And this is for me like a great thing about Swift being open source and also like being ported to different platforms and also being considered for different use cases, like as a systems programming language, as a scripting language. Uh, because what happens if you're using the same language throughout your day, you end up having fewer and fewer context switches. 
Right. And for me, this is super valuable. Like, for example, if I need to write a simple script to like move some files around or handle some assets that, you know, my artists create, created, um, not having to jump that language barrier, even though it might be a language that I'm completely, you know, also fluent in, it's still very valuable to me because I can not only just open up a new file in Xcode or open up a file in Atom and start coding, but I can also do some really cool things where... I can, for example, reuse my models in my scripts. So for example, um, in a game I'm working on right now, I have like these different classes of, of units that you can have, like you have a swordsman, you have an archer, etc. And what I wanted to do is that I wanted to iterate through all the folders of, uh, of the graphics of all these units. And what I ended up doing was that I just imported the uh, unit model and I could use that enum, like the type enum, to iterate through all these folders uh, automatically. And, and so for certain, certain cases, you would do something specific. In other cases, you would do something different, like uh, change the file in a different way, like add a different, I don't know, prefix or something? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like move, move them to like the proper folder, add some prefixes to so I can you know, refer to them easily in, in, in the code, wow. et cetera. Yeah, and so I can in do, like your Swift script, you're using one of your your models, your enum, in and like switching through all the cases. That exactly that's really yeah. interesting. It is, and that's only possible because you're using the same language, right? Uh, and you can import the same files, which means that if I go ahead now and change the code in the actual game, the Swift script will automatically be up to date. I don't need to maintain two sources of truth. Wow! And I think this is yeah, this is quite powerful, and I think also quite important because you don't want your scripts to be, you know, very unstable where you have to constantly go and update them because then it feels like they're not really bringing you any value. You spend more time maintaining right. these scripts than they actually save you time, right? Right. And having them like be be able to derive some of the information from your actual application code, now that's super valuable, I think. So if I'm, you know, I'm just new to programming and I just want to make an app and, you know, and I'm listening to, to me and you talk about Swift scripting, like, do I need to care about this stuff? Or when do you think, when do you think is sort of a interesting time or a good time to start looking into Swift scripting? So one thing that I did, and I think it could be a interesting exercise for many people out there is like, if you have any scripts that you're using in, for example, Ruby or Python or you know, shell scripts. And most of us developers, we have something like that, you know, whether that's something we're using as part of our build tools, or we have some script that we're using to, I don't know, open a SSH connection or whatever it might be. Um, I would encourage uh, people to try out Swift for them, like try to just port it to Swift, write the exact same thing in Swift and just see how, what it feels like. And for me, at least when I try that, I... I started thinking that, oh, you know, maybe all the safety features of Swift will get in the way. Like I'm going to have to fight the type system a lot because when you have things like, uh, you know, a shell script or a Ruby script, things are a little bit more forgiving uh, in terms of types and, you know, what you can do with them. Uh, but it ended up like in Swift. Um, sure, it's I have to do a little bit more like if lets or guard lets in my in my scripts. But this just makes the scripts better, I think. It makes them more robust and it makes me handle all the edge cases. It makes them easier to maintain. Um, so I really encourage people to just, if you have any script lying around that you're using, 
try to port it to Swift and see what it's like. Okay, so it sounds like once you sort of have a, have a need or you already have a script, yeah, maybe maybe then look into it. I mean, that's sort yeah, of how it worked. That's sort of how it worked out for me. So. Yeah, exactly. Or if you need to build something new, like if you find yourself repeating uh, a task over and over again, whether that is, you know, integrating new images into your Xcode project or uh, some other assets, uh, whether that is like things like commit messages or like bumping the version number whenever you make a new release or whatever it might be that you're doing over and over and over again, uh, try automating it using a script and uh, with, with Swift, you get access to all the Cocoa APIs. So you can use like the file system, you can, you know, um, open a network connection, you can call into other things using the command line. You can do all sorts of things on, on in a simple Swift script. One thing I thought I was a little, I guess, confused about or torn about was I wasn't sure if I was, like when I was making a script, writing a script. I wasn't sure if I was writing a, a true, pure Swift script or I was just, as someone put it, shelling out to the command line. Can you talk a right. little bit about the difference between those two and like what is sure. like what is shelling out and like what's really pure writing a Swift script, I guess? So shelling out would be that you are actually just calling things on the command line. So for example, if you wanted to get the Git log of your current project, you would create what is called a pipe uh, and you would uh, basically just run that git log uh, command on the command line from your script. And then so you're basically, the... you're, you're basically just writing Unix then, right? Or you're like yeah, you're writing Swift, but then writing a string, in, you know, and then just saying, because isn't that like the command line is just like Unix, I guess, right? We're just like doing, we're yeah. like communicating with the, program, with the computer using Unix, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, flavor of Unix. Uh, it's the uh, Mac OS is running something called Darwin, which is like a um, yeah, a, a, a different version, I guess, would be the best way to describe it of, of Unix. Uh, so okay. yeah, you've got all the things there, like CD moving to different folders, like change directory or a PVD print working directory. Uh, you can do things like ls to list all the files in a folder. Um, and yeah, that's available in the, in the terminal application on your, on your computer. Right. And you can do that in a Swift script, right? But yeah, then for like, sure. But then you're sort of losing, I guess, the type safety or the whole point yeah, of a writing bit. a Swift like, script, I guess. Yeah. When you're using the command line, everything are, everything is strings. Like you are basically giving string input, you're receiving string output. Um, so yeah, you lose a bit of the type safety there. So what I try to do is that whenever I can use a Cocoa API, for example, with files, like using the file manager API, which is available in, in Cocoa, um, that just enables me to stay in Swift land and uh, just do everything in my script without even touching the command line. So um, how, how would you get your Git log then without using, without shelling out, so to say? Can you do that? Um, not really. So if you need to do something which does require the command line, for example, getting a hold of your Git log, then you would need to shell out like you, like you refer to it. Um, okay. so there, are, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Like if you need to do that, then sure, go ahead. But if you don't need to, then, um, Coco has a lot of APIs for like, for example, dealing with files or opening a network connection or whatever you need to do. Um, which you can do right there in your script using the APIs you're familiar with, like URL session and file manager. Like people who haven't done any uh, macOS programming will be surprised of how many of the classes are 
exactly the same when it comes to this like core stuff, like handling files, URL sessions and things like that, where you can just like pretty much use the exact same code that you're using on iOS uh, in your script. So you would use NSURL session or something similar as opposed to using like curl or um, and like shelling out to, and using curl to let's say like download a template when you're creating Swift exactly. Play or something like that. Wow, exactly. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're uh, over the hour mark, but I just want to talk about a few more things before we wrap up. Sure. Um, was there anything else that you really, really just loved about um, doing like the scripting stuff with Swift? So yeah, I like the fact that I could share code between my app and my scripts. I like the fact that I didn't have to switch to a new language or I can use the same language. Uh, but also for me, uh, it was interesting because it's clearly uh, uncharted territory. And I really love uncharted territories. <laughs> I really love when there's something new where I can explore things and not all the answers are given. So I think there's a big opportunity here for people, like when you're getting into the scripting, to kind of create some tools and, um, you know, figure it out how, it, how you would like it to work. Uh, because there is no, like industry standard yet. There is no one way to do things. There's a bunch of different ways you can do it. And for me, that's like half the fun when you get to, uh, you know, figure something new out and try out some new different ideas, find out what works and what doesn't. Um, so yeah, this is, this is really what it, what excites me about Swift scripting. So then on that note of like uncharted territory, um, what are, what are the bad if there are like sort of downsides um, and where would you like to see uh, Swift go uh, as a scripting language? So it's definitely not as lack for lack of a better term mature in terms of uh, scripting. So if you would use something like Ruby, for example, you have a lot of utilities at your disposal, for example, checking if a file exists or uh, iterating over a directory or uh, opening a network connection connection or whatever it might be. Uh, it just, it's, it's some, somewhat easier to do it in a language that has had all this like community development around scripting. So Swift hasn't had that yet, of course, because it's still very new. Um, so that's what I would say would be a downside. If people are just looking to be productive directly with scripting, you will run into some walls where it will be, oh, this is not super easy to do in a script. There's no like very easy to use utility here. Um, and this is where I ended up creating things like files. And there's a lot of other people creating uh, great tools as well for, for scripting. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, Sorcery is a great one and um, where you, or Swift Gen, where you're actually like, you know, code generation and things like that, uh, which is perfect for, for scripting. Uh, so yeah, you're definitely going to run into uh, these like obstacles and you're going to have to find a way around them and it might not be obvious what that answer is. You might have to create something on your own or trying out some different ideas. And so is that a limitation of the language and so might get better through Swift evolution or is it, and, or is it a limitation of just the fact that the community hasn't built up these tools? And so that might just come with time. I think a little bit of both. Um, there's definitely like the whole ecosystem aspect of, you know, having all these things uh, at your disposal, like in terms of libraries and things that are targeted to Swift scripting. Uh, but there's also like the, the tooling and the language side of things from Swift, where I, I mentioned earlier, you can use the Swift package manager to like build and execute your script. Uh, 
but it still requires quite a few steps and you have to know about how these things work. You can't just dive in, run one tool and you're done. Um, I think that's something which would be very nice to have where it's like, you know, one thing that you know you can rely on that is officially supported, uh, which is integrated into the language. It might even be ex integrated into Xcode where you can like have a template for creating a script inside of Xcode. Maybe your scripts can even live inside of your Xcode project so you can easily run them. Uh, things like that, you know, uh, both from Apple side, from the Swift Evolution side, and also from the from like the open source uh, community side. On that last point, isn't that sort of what the command line tool Xcode project is? Uh, you mean uh, which which one? Uh, I thought you uh, were saying you said like uh, you have better like integration with Xcode to to mm -hmm. write scripts. Like when you create a a Mac OS command line tool, isn't that sort of what you're what you're building, it's like you're building a, a script in a way, I guess. Like yeah, it's a, yeah, it's sort I guess of a you can always use that. Yeah, for sure, you can always use that. And that's what I currently use to run uh, many of my scripts that are tightly in relation to a certain project. I put them as uh, a separate um, command line tool target in my workspace. Okay. Uh, but it still feels a little bit, you know, heavyweight. Like with scripts, okay. what we really want is we really just want to be able to like create a new file, write 10 lines, execute it, and we're done, right? Okay. Uh, and this is where I would really like to see this go, and I will, I will definitely contribute to this, uh, this happening as much as I can, uh, where it's like very easy to get started, very easy, very low barrier of entry, because this is what I feel script should be all about. Okay, cool. And are you feeling pretty good, feeling pretty hopeful about, uh, about that? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely. And uh, I think like the basics are already there. Like it's a great language even for scripting. Um, we just need like, you know, a couple of libraries to do uh, the most common things in scripts, like handling files, network, etc. Maybe like okay. things like credentials and maybe some easy way to set up a Bluetooth connection or something. Um, oh, interesting. From a script. Uh, because, you know, it's not only like dropping in a CocoaPod or a, a library that you might use in an app, because the APIs that you want from a script can sometimes be very, very different from the APIs that you're looking for in an app. In an app, you're more looking for things like, you know, um, be, being able to maintain things a lot more long term. Uh, you want things that are more like clearly separated. Well, in a script, you're more looking for ease of use. Like ease of use is your primary uh, kind of um, metric. So you're not looking for correctness in the same way. You're more looking for things that are you know easy to use and easy to get up and running. And this is again where this like kind of mentality that you're just like creating a file, writing a couple of lines with some easy to use API, firing it off, and you're done. That's kind of the the holy grail, I think. And I guess we're sort of more used to that, especially with Unix, right? It's very like single unit, single responsibility. You just run a command and it has an out input and an output. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I don't know, man. I'm just, uh, I'm really excited. I want to get writing some uh, Swiss scripts right now. <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah, that's uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... We've come to to the end, and man, I just really, really want to keep talking to you about um about all this stuff, but uh, we we gotta go. So before we do though, um, a couple things. Uh, where can people contact you online? 
So I'm on Twitter. I'm at John Sundell. So that is John. And then my last name is the combination of two tech companies, Sun and Dell. Oh, nice. So it was, it was clearly destined for me to become, you know, become a programmer <laughs> having this last name. So yeah, at John Sundell on Twitter. Um, and I'm also on GitHub, uh, github.com slash John Sundell, where I have a lot of open source projects, uh, adding more and more uh, as I go uh, in Swift. Yeah, I just looked this morning, um, you know, Swift plate, unbox, wrap. So like for unbox for uh, decoding, um, wrap for coding, um, like JSON, really cool. And then uh, flow, which is really interesting, the NS operation. I don't know if it's a wrapper around it or... Um, no, it's actually an alternative implementation. Uh, it's uh, its own, stands on its own. It doesn't rely on NS operations. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing there. Like I was using NS operations a lot. I liked them, but I wanted to figure out how they worked. So I ended up just like creating uh, my own, uh, like very lightweight, simple alternative to operations. Yeah, super cool. And then, um, and then uh, in the hub framework, and I don't know, man, it's just really cool. Um, so actually, I remembered one last thing I wanted to ask you was sure. it kind of has it's like a two parter. So when when we're, we're writing Swift scripts, are we mostly just using Swift standard library and foundation? Or is there other things that we need to be aware of, like other Apple libraries or frameworks, sorry, that we need to be aware of that we can so have access depends. to? Yeah, so it depends if you want to run your script, for example, on Linux as well, then you should stick to the uh, only like the open source standard library. Um, but if you, for example, only want to run it on, on Mac OS, then you can use all of Coco. So you can use, um, you know, all the classes that are available to you in, in Coco. Um, that would be like the same API you use to create Mac apps. Wow. Um, so like yeah. UI win or not UI window, um, what's it called? Is it, what's it called? Uh, window, right? Yeah. Yeah. Windows, you have like your processes and things like, like that. Like usually when you create scripts, you don't create windows, uh, although you right. can actually. You can spawn Windows even from the command line. So that's like AppKit, right? Yeah, that's AppKit, exactly. Um, but Coco, Coco is like bigger than AppKit, or like AppKit's within Coco. Uh, the other way around. So uh, oh. App, AppKit is like the UI. It's like what UIKit is for the Mac, uh, which is built on top right. of Coco, just like how UIKit is built on top of Coco Touch. Right, okay, okay, okay. So, okay. Um, but I yeah, but you foundation... can use them. Sorry, go ahead. You can use, yeah, you can use them. You can use uh, any open source projects that you want to drop in, um, you know, uh, that you might need um, to do the work you want to do. And those would be packages. Yeah, you can use the Swift Package Manager. You can use things like CocoaPods. You can um, just what what one thing that I really like to optimize for is lightweight lightweight integration. So with files, for example, is just a single file. Same thing with Onbox where you can just um, take the file, drop it into your Xcode project, and you're done. That's like, like now you've integrated the library, basically. Right. Uh, so you don't have to use the package manager if you don't want to. Because again, with scripts, you don't want to spend all this time just setting everything up. You just want to get writing, you know? I thought Foundation was ported to Linux. Yeah, so Foundation is uh, part of the uh, like standard library, or it's, it's yeah, it's ported to Linux, uh, most of it anyway. The thing okay. that things that don't rely on the exact Objective C based foundation that is only available on the Mac. But so you're saying if you want your script to be running on Linux, maybe it's better to be safe and not use foundation. Yeah, or yeah, just see what's available on Linux. There are some other libraries that are available on Linux for doing things like interacting with 
uh, like if you're drawing things or interacting with the Linux specific APIs. Um, but yeah, if you want to keep things simple, which is usually what you do in a script, you're usually just like maybe handling some files or uh, building some strings or generating code, which usually, usually just requires the standard library, like the string class or the file manager class, etc. Okay. And then the, the last, the second parter sort of is about documentation, um, like, and I guess which objects, like, is there separate documentation we go to to learn about like how to do Swift scripting, or we would just go to like, for instance, NS file manager to learn about the file manager and how to use it in a script. Um, or is there like, like, for instance, I had a trouble uh, understanding uh, where to go for the process, or I think it used to be called command line. Now I think it's called process or the other way around. Yeah. Like, where do we go? Is there a separate place we go to learn about that? Or is it just standard library and foundation documentation? So that's another great thing about using the same language for both your app development and your scripting is that you it's the same documentation. So if you learn all the APIs that you can use on the string, for example, the string structure in Swift, then you can use all of those APIs in a script as well. So you have things okay. like you know separating components by a delimiter or joining an array into a string. You can do the, the exact same thing as you're doing in your iOS or Mac or tvOS or watchOS app okay. uh, right in your script. So there's okay. no separate documentation. Just uh, keep in mind you're not working on iOS, so you can't use things like that have the UI prefix. So none of UI kit. You have to look on the app kit side of things, like on on Coco, and uh, on of course on the standard library of Swift. So like, what are the main objects and units and classes that we're usually working with? So like NS File Manager. What else would we sort of mostly be working with? Yeah, so you have the file manager, you have uh, the process uh, class, which gives you information about like what are the arguments that were passed into your, your script or your command line tool. Um, okay. You have, yeah, so you have things like the, the pipe, which enables you to uh, go back to the command line and call things on the command line. Wait, um, what is, is that? Is that like a class or an object or is it just a string like the pipe like in unix no it's it's a, it's a class it's actually called ns pipe in, uh, in coco but it's ported into swift as pipe okay and so would that be like sort of a good start to look at those three things maybe yeah absolutely yeah okay. i think that would be great okay thank you so much okay now we are i promise thank you guys for for sticking around uh, i know we're well <laughs> past the hour but um, I think that was just some really important stuff that needed to get out there. So, um, okay. So <laughs> last, uh, last, but not least, uh, one piece of advice for people learning Swift go. So, uh, with Swift, we have a lot of tools at our disposal that we didn't have before in Objective-C. We have things like generics, we have protocol extensions, we have structs, even though we had structs in C as well, but they're now way more powerful and easier to use. And my one tip would be to uh, use the tools that you have whenever they are good to use. So I see sometimes people taking things a bit to the extreme, saying like everything should be a struct or everything should be a protocol. And if you're not doing everything as a protocol, you're doing it wrong. Uh, I think you should try to use the tools that you have uh, whenever they are you know, good to use. So if something should be a protocol, if it's more like an API you're conforming to, then make it a protocol. If it's a value, use a struct. But if you need a reference type or if you need subclassing, there is no shame in using a class. It's, they're there for a reason. So that would be my, my biggest tip is to use all of the language and everything it has to offer for any given situation. 
Right, like use the objects um, for the purpose that they're best suited to. So as much yeah. as we, we revel in the, the idea that Swift is protocol-oriented, um, we can kind of take that as dogma and take it to the extreme. But we shouldn't forget yeah. that, you know, the enum is good for what an enum is good for, struct and class, et cetera, are good for what they're good for. And it's really good because I actually I, I fall into that category of being like, okay, it's protocol-oriented. Everything has to be a protocol. And uh, as much yeah, as I love and, them. Yeah, and it happens to everyone. That. Yeah, it happens to everyone. Like we get so excited about these language features. And in the beginning, when I was learning Swift, I got so excited about generics and everything was a generic. And I ended up almost having my app delegate be a generic. Wow. <laughs> and at that point, you're like, maybe I've dug myself into a bit of a hole here. And I think <laughs> you can avoid these situations by just being a little bit more careful and thinking more, not, not trying to get too tied into one way of doing things, but rather be flexible and use... Uh, use all the features of the language whenever they're appropriate to use. Yeah, perfect. That's great advice. Thank you so much. All right, John, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Just such such a great story. Born in California, moved back, or I guess moved to Sweden. Yeah, for um, the first time. Your, your parents, I guess, were living, were from there. Uh, yeah. at, a, at an early age, grew up in Sweden, you know, fell in love with, uh, with uh, video games and, and programming at an early age. Um, but for some reason, you know, didn't think that it should be your, your career, you know, so you got into sales, but you know, you weren't fully satisfied with it and you decided to follow your rediscovered passion, so to say, uh, with programming and you took, you took a leap, you know, you took a risk and you went for it. You followed your passion, which is great. Um, and, um, ended up, um, make, it seems to me making the right decision and uh, becoming an iOS developer, uh, working at Spotify, and now uh, you you left um, left Sweden and you went to Poland just to kind of have an adventure, uh, and now you're there and you're joining Hyper really soon, uh, and and you're going to be telecommuting as they say, working remotely. Right. Um, and yeah, you're just a really awesome member of the Swift community. You're contributing like so greatly like I, i'm not necessarily using swift plate like as you intended it but i used it as an example to make my own tool and and like learn which was really i i really appreciated that so much and i really look forward to seeing the other uh, scripting tools that you might be releasing and all the other open source stuff um, this this game engine you're creating so yeah Thank you so much uh, for sharing all that and for being a really awesome uh, part of the community. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on the show. I've always been a huge fan of the show, so it's really, really exciting to be part of it. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.